DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He is the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a Theological Contemplation of Prayer, as well as numerous other books focused on the spiritual life. In this series of Conversations with Dr. Lillis, we focus on Doctor of the Church, St. Teresa of Avila, and her great spiritual masterwork, The Interior Castle. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Anthony. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be with you. I am so happy that we're going to be able to take just a little bit more time in Chapter 9 of the Sixth Mansion to go over the reasons. Maybe you can break open what those reasons are and why Teresa felt she needed to kind of break that open even more so for us. She's talking about reasons that you shouldn't really desire, not so much desire. It's okay to desire them. In other words, they're a good thing. They're a desirous thing. But you shouldn't try to grasp this or be envious that somebody else has received it or jealous. It's not something that you you demand from God. And in fact, kind of the opposite, your attitude should be just, she had used earlier in this chapter, the idea of a, a locket and the king has the locket and he wants to open the locket so that you can see the beautiful jewel inside when he wants and why he wants. And where she's going with these reasons is that the reason why he shows you what's inside the locket, gives you one of these visions, is usually because you have some great purpose to fulfill for him that's going to require a lot of suffering. And so we need to have a good attitude towards these things. You can't covet these visions. What should be driving your heart is the desire to serve the Lord. And if you have the desire to serve the Lord, whether or not he gives you one of these visions, you're going to have maximum benefit. If you put your desire for these visions above or or in a way that interferes with your desire to serve the Lord, then these visions can actually get in the way. And so that's, she begins to explain this. And she gives us about six different reasons than to have more of a kind of detachment towards these. So they are good, they're beautiful gifts from God, but we should have a kind of detachment that allows God to give this gift to us when he wants and how he wants, but not ever try to seize it for ourselves. Could it be said, Anthony, that Teresa, even though she doesn't state it specifically, she's intending maybe for us to have a Marian disposition of heart. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is the great whatever. Do whatever he tells you to do. Maybe it's to experience whatever he is longing to share with you. Instead of the desire to want to have things or want to have more or what they have over there. And this is kind of what she says. I most earnestly advise you when you know or hear of God bestowing these graces on others, never to pray nor desire to be led by this way yourself, 
though it may appear to you to be very good. Indeed, it ought to be highly esteemed and reverenced, yet no one should seek to go by it for several reasons. And so we shouldn't desire to go by means of visions or special religious experiences just in general, but these visions in particular. And she's, she wants to give us a reason why you don't want to go by vision. We want to go by this Marian disposition of faith that is open to whatever God wills when he wills it. These visions, when they're provided, are meant to help that kind of faith not replace it. This kind of provides the context for the, the reasons that she has for doing this. That first reason underscores so much of what Teresa has taught us over and over again, and it involves the gift of humility. Yep. She says, as it is want of humility to desire what you have never deserved, I do not think anyone who longs for these graces can be really humble. A common laborer never dreams of wishing to be made a king. The thing seems impossible, and he is unfit for it. A lowly mind has the same feeling about these divine favors. I do not believe God will ever bestow these gifts on such a person, as before doing so he always gives a thorough self-knowledge. How can that soul, while filled with such lofty aspirations, realize the truth he has shown it, great mercy in not casting it into hell? And so what she's kind of saying is our disposition is is Marian, in this sense, we're that just as Mary is the handmaid of the Lord, we're servants of the Lord. We're not kings who deserve things on our own terms. This is a pure gift. And if it's given, it's so that we can serve the Lord more. Uh, just like Mary was given the gifts she needed, and they were astounding gifts, but she didn't seize those gifts. She received the gift so powerful when she says, let it be done to me according to your will. She let God take the initiative in giving him the favors. And so too with this, we, we need to let God take the initiative if he wants to do this. If you try to kind of grasp these yourselves, you kind of show that you are totally unworthy to be given this gift. That covetousness for spiritual things is a huge block in the spiritual life, and it disrupts it. It ruins our humility. Uh, the second reason is that such a one is certain to be deceived, or at least is in great danger of delusion, for entrance is thus left up to the devil, who only needs to see the door left ajar, to slip in at once and play us a thousand tricks. So in our last episode, she mentions it in the same chapter, how the evil one can attempt to mimic a vision like this. In this sentence, what she's saying is that if you are covetous of having this vision, if this is something that you covet for yourself, the devil's able to deceive you all the more. If you're not covetous of it, if you're humble about the gift, if the vision arouses your desire for Christ Jesus, thank God for the vision that you received, no matter where it came from, and love Jesus and the evil one is dispelled. But if you are covetous for this vision and try to hang on to it, this opens the door to um, demonic deception in your life. I think that's key. It's self-knowledge. I mean, what saint, what spiritual mother, if I could say so, from Catherine of Siena to Gertrude the Great, you name it, who have, have implored people to enter deeply into the understanding of self-knowledge? 
to know yourself. Even Therese, in a very real way, will bring that forward in what would become her teachings, in essence. Yep, I agree with you on that. The key, as you say, self-knowledge, and just like when you do this, it goes against your humility. And what is humility? Humility is a proper esteem for yourself, a realization that you're nothing without God. He is everything, and, and really we're mud that God has breathed into and raised up and kind of the recognition of our limitations and stuff. When you desire to grasp a vision, you're kind of acting against that humility that comes with self-knowledge. And the second reason then, this opens you up to demonic deception. The third reason she gives is that what it also disposes you to do is self-generate visions. She says, when people strongly desire a thing, the imagination makes them fancy they see it or hear it. Just as when a man's mind is set upon a subject all day, he dreams of it at night. So you have the danger of pride, you have the danger of demonic deception, and then you have the danger of your own imagination self-generating things that don't really help you so much in the spiritual life, but kind of distract you from the moment right now. When you desire something that God doesn't desire to give you, you're distracting yourself. And that's what she's describing in this third reason. So we have humility, we have the devil, we have the imagination. And then fourthly, she says, it would be presumptuous of me to choose a way for myself without knowing what is good for me. I should leave our Lord who knows my soul to guide me as is best for me so that his will may be done in all things. And so this one is kind of goes with the first one when we're talking about humility Humility is the basis of true hope, and true hope does not despair, but it's also not presumptuous. True hope trusts in the Lord. One of the biggest problems in our time is a lack of confidence that God is going to give us everything we need. It's understandable. We live in very anxious times. With the pandemic, people are in the news stories, constant barrage of news stories about social upheaval and things. People have a general anxiety. I, I also think because people were deprived of the sacraments for so long, that among Catholics there's also like a post-traumatic disorder, a spiritual disorder that, that they're dealing with as well. We're pretty wounded right now. We're, we're driven by a lot of anxiety. And we indeed are seeing a lot of people send with sense of despair, uh, giving up altogether. The other thing that maybe we have to be mindful in these times is to be presumptuous of the Lord, not to trust him to give me what I want, but to try to see something spiritual so that I have some kind of magical power to get through life that allows me to avoid you know, bad things or something like that. What St. Teresa of Avila is saying is don't use these visions or seek these visions for that reason. Trust the Lord. If he gives them to you, great. And if he doesn't, that's because he has a better way for you. Uh, he knows best what you need. You might think you need this vision, but he knows whether or not you need it better than you do. Well, we're talking about detachment, aren't we? An abandonment to divine providence. The kind of detachment, not so much where you're detached from the affairs of the world and you're kind of aloof about you know, what's going on around you, but detachment in the sense of, I'm not going to presume 
I know what God's will is. I'm going to wait for him to show it to me. One of an old colleague of mine, Mary Healy, uh, we were students together at Steubenville, and she explained when she was discerning her vocation and what the Lord would have for her, uh, she kept on trying to figure it out, you know, and come up with all these different plans. And her, her spiritual director kind of said, you know, you really need to wait on the Lord to reveal this to you. You can't self-generate uh, this kind of stuff. This, this requires uh, the humility that Teresa of Avila has already talked about. It requires a patient waiting on the Lord. This requires a lot of patience. And it requires also resisting anxiety, resisting that movement to get caught up in the frenzy of, I've got to get everything figured out right now because I need to be in control. That's presumptuous. God's in control, and we can live under his sovereign majesty. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Discerning Hearts presents a very special first-time retreat entitled Hope in Difficult Times with St. Therese of Lisieux and her family. Are you challenged by the daily struggles in your life? Have your plans for your life changed in ways you never expected? Are you anxious about the events that swirl around you? Are you fearful for the future of children, family members, and other loved ones as you see them struggle? Has your trust and faith in God been shaken by illnesses or even the death of loved ones? This retreat is for those who are looking for hope in difficult times. Hope in Difficult Times with St. Therese of Lisieux and her family is a first-of-its-kind spiritual retreat led by Father Timothy Gallagher. This in-person retreat will be given on April 7th through the 10th, 2022, at the beautiful St. Benedict Retreat Center in Schuyler, Nebraska. To learn more or to sign up, visit discerninghearts.com. St. Teresa speaks to us today, saying, Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. O God, who through your Spirit raised up St. Teresa of Jesus to show the Church the way to seek perfection, grant that we may always be nourished by the food of her heavenly teaching and fired with longing for true holiness. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. St. Teresa, pray for us. That we may become worthy of the promises of Jesus Christ. Amen. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts.
We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. It can be very confusing for many people because sometimes the things that we see others experiencing, it looks like such a good thing. And we want to have and participate in such a beautiful good. And yet there we are. That's like you pointed out, not only does it affect the first reason, which is uh, about humility, but also that second reason where the enemy, as St. Ignatius would say, can tempt us with those good things. That's right. Up to now, she's looked at our self-esteem in terms of humility. She's looked at the possibility of demonic deception, as she just said. She also looks at our own powers kind of generating things. And then she looks at the problem of presumption, you know, kind of the sins against hope. She goes on from here, kind of using the rubric of hope to talk about suffering. She asks the question, do you think people on whom our Lord bestows these favors have little to suffer? No, indeed. Their trials are most severe and of many kinds. How can you tell whether you would be able to bear them? And this is a very sobering moment. We often like to receive consolations from God and affirmations and encouragements that make us feel good about being a disciple of the Lord and following in his way, especially in the arduous, the difficult work of being faithful to prayer. Prayer is difficult work. It requires a commitment every day to a period of time. And I think as you you get into this, we, we want to be encouraged. And sometimes we want to be encouraged with these more lofty experiences, these kind of, uh, and here we're talking about a vision, but there's also states of consciousness that we've talked about throughout the book, like ecstasies and raptures. There's a desire to have these experiences as if we were on a vacation adventure uh, trying to gobble up all the experiences we can. And now here's the vision and this gobble up this one. But each of God's gifts, whether it's a state of consciousness or a grace like a vision or a locution, we talked about those, each of God's gifts is always given for a solemn purpose. It's never trivial. God, if he gives you a gift as serious as this kind of vision where Jesus imparts to you a glance of love, that fills you with the kind of dread and fear of the Lord, but also a deep sense of confidence in him and a sense of purpose in your love and devotion for him. If you receive one of these things, the reason why he's given it to you is because you will need that confidence and that sense of purpose because he's going to ask you to follow him to Calvary. And there's going to be some very, very difficult trials very, very difficult challenges and hardships. And why is that? What is Calvary? Calvary is the place where we learn to love like Jesus loved us. And you cannot love, says Teresa of Calcutta, you cannot love except at your own expense. And so if God gives you a grace, the reason why he gives you the grace, in this case of vision, is because he's preparing you for a great work. St. John of the Cross says, in Ascent to Mount Carmel, book two, I think around chapter eight, he talks about the friends of Christ who uh, want his consolations and, uh, and his gifts, but don't want to share in his cup of suffering. 
And John of the Cross says, what kind of friends are these? Teresa of Avila, what she's going to be doing with these next few reasons is she's going to be moving us from trying to teach us, instead of desiring the vision, desire to follow Jesus wherever he goes. And he will give you whatever you need to follow him. But if you are out of order because you are covetous and seeking a vision and demanding it of him, uh, you may open your life up to a kind of suffering that you're not quite prepared for because these gifts prepare you to carry the cross. They're not just emotional you know, crutches. They are necessary gifts to do some great work for the Lord. She goes on then, perhaps what you think would be your gain might prove to be your loss has happened to Saul when he was made king. In short, sisters, there are other reasons besides these, I believe. It is safer to wish only what God wishes, who knows us better than we know ourselves, and who loves us. Let us place ourselves entirely in his hands so that his will may be done in us. We can never go astray if our will is ever firmly fixed on this. So, Chris, those are the, the six basic reasons that Teresa of Avila gives us for not trying to open the locket that God has given us to receive the gift of prayer, to receive the gift of contemplative or mystical prayer, is to receive this golden locket that, when it is open, has all kinds of beautiful jewels in it. But Jesus gives us the locket locked. And he has the key. And he knows when we need it open so that we can see what is there and be encouraged by it and get the strength we need for the work he has for us. Most of the time, he's going to keep it locked. There isn't going to be um, a lot of extraordinary graces. There will be for a short period of time, and they will be great blessings. Just when you need them most, they will come. But he keeps the locket closed most of the time and just entrusts it to us and asks us to believe that the jewels are there, even if we don't see them. John of the Cross develops his whole theology of night around this, believing in the goodness and the wonder of God's love flowing into us. He calls it the divine inflow, even though we don't see it. And this, I think, in a different kind of way, is what Teresa is trying to get at here in her explanation of these visions. I think it's such an important thing for us to ponder. I mean, just to, to stop and to really take this in. I think you mentioned it earlier, Anthony, that so often for various gifts or try to be open to the great whatever, I think, you know, for some of us, maybe I don't think it would be a bad prayer. It would be to ask for that gift of hope. Of the theological gifts that were given of faith, hope, and love, Love is something that I think is tangible. We can understand that. And faith, I mean, in that relationship and that the ebb and flow and the growth and the dynamics of it all. But to sincerely, truly have hope. And if that's what we have, the rest of it falls into place, doesn't it? I think so. You know, and your words go perfectly with this chapter because she, she kind of ends this on the whole idea that there is suffering in the Christian life. The Lord never gives us more than we can handle, and he also gives us gifts so that we can handle. 
she makes this observation. Such a grace, she's talking about the vision, is a most powerful aid towards practicing the virtues in their highest perfection. But it is far more meritorious to gain them at the cost of one's own toil. I was acquainted with someone, indeed two people of whom one was a man, on whom our Lord had bestowed some of these gifts. They were both so desirous of serving His Majesty at their own cost. Without these great consolations, and so longed to suffer for his sake, that they remonstrated with him for granting them these favors, and if it had been possible, would have refused to receive them. When I say consolations, I do not mean these visions which greatly benefit the soul and are to be highly esteemed, but the delights given by God during contemplation. The person she's talking about in this paragraph is St. John of the Cross. So she and St. John of the Cross both had received these gifts. And they received these gifts very early on when they were trying to found the reform and get it off the ground, and they were running into all kinds of troubles, even to the extent that St. John of the Cross was imprisoned. And Teresa and the sisters, every, there was persecution, one thing after another, one trial, one hardship right after another. And, um, and they wanted the trials and they wanted the hardships and they wanted the challenges because they were taking all of this on for no other reason than to show Jesus how much they loved him. And so what did Jesus begin to do? Jesus began to give them things like these visions and other consolations. And they were overwhelmed with the goodness of these things. And, and that's what she's saying. We actually asked Jesus to take them away <laughs> because we wanted to serve him for pure love. And he kept on lavishing us with more and more gifts. It's kind of like when you try to do a favor for a friend and the friend keeps on you know, trying to pay you back by doing you favors. And it's kind of like, stop doing me a favor so I can do you a favor. And something a little bit like that. Anyway, this experience, John of the Cross, his, his actual theology that he develops in the Ascent of Mount Carmel book two is that you shouldn't really desire these things. If they happen, you shouldn't try to hang on to them or keep on referring back to them. Whatever grace you needed from them was imparted the moment you received the grace. And so thinking about it any longer really doesn't help you. Instead, you should totally move your the energy of your heart to serve the Lord, uh, to love him with all, all your strength and all your might, and your neighbor as yourself, no matter where you are and what you're doing, and pay no more attention to these things. So this paragraph right now actually ties into and has reference to St. John of the Cross's doctrine. It's one of the, the connection points where she actually refers to him. We have two doctors of the church who've had visions who are telling us that we don't need to desire them, that in fact it's better for us to actually grow in highest perfection through our own toil and faith rather than asking for some vision such as she's saying here. And it's not that Jesus won't give it to you. He gives it to those who need it most when they need it. But if your heart is kind of set on, you know what, I cannot love except at my own expense. And so, Jesus, you've given me this to do, no matter how remedial the task might be and hidden and unrecognized. That task, that hidden remedial task that nobody 
else knows about. If you do it with all the love of your heart, you're headed to the road of highest perfection. And whether or not you receive a vision, with God's help, you will get there. Any final thoughts on chapter 9 of the Sixth Mansion, Anthony? This last line, in the last paragraph, she talks about souls that kind of desire to do everything for God's greater glory, uh, even if it meant being annihilated forever. They would count it great gain. May he be praised forever, who, in abasing himself to hold converse with us miserable creatures, vouchsafes to manifest his greatness. We desire suffering that she's talking about in this chapter, and we've talked about this before, isn't desired for its own sake. It's desired because in suffering, we reveal our love. And that's how that logic, revealing love in the midst of suffering, is what God revealed to us on the cross. Jesus manifested his greatness by abasing himself for our sake. And this is the basic movement that we need to always stay in. No matter what we achieve in prayer, no matter how high up we go, how intimate we become, how deep the union, the pattern of our crucified God is a pattern of self-abasement for the salvation of others and the glory of the Father. And our lives need to be ordered in such wise, not because of some sick and broken sense of self and self-pity, but rather when you see the misery of the one you love, you must needs respond to it. You need to implicate yourself in that. And God has implicated himself in our plight, and our plight's pretty bad. And if he's gone there to reveal his love to us so that we don't suffer alone, we also need to go there with him so that his suffering love is manifest to all those we care about. All of these graces that we've talked about in this book, including this grace of vision, is oriented to lead us into a deeper solidarity with the salvific love of God and his merciful love. This is what is God's greater glory. Thank you so much, Anthony. You're welcome. Thank you, Chris. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. There, too, you will find an audio version of The Interior Castle by St. Teresa of Avila, the masterwork in which this series has been based. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.